0: welcome to the odda magazine podcast we at odda desire a deeper insight into the people we spend time with through a podcast featuring creatives and entrepreneurs across art fashion film and other creative disciplines each episode highlights the work of individuals who participate in norwich culture and the conversations they inspire our guest discuss how they see the future. Hopefully one that's filled with diversity, equality, understanding, and of course, passion. Oda is a platform where self-expression, imagination, and dreams are brought to the next level and shared with those looking to be inspired.
1: So before we start, I got your question, so thank you so much for that. Um, but before we start, could you tell me just a tiny bit about your publication i hadn't heard of it and i started look looking at online it seems really interesting
2: oh of course um it's actually this is one of my first interviews for the publication but it's basically like very immersive in terms of um looking at you as a person and like the behind the scenes of like the arts world as a whole whether that's functional you know actual art um and it looks into depth you know we really want to look at what you do and answer the questions that not necessarily are answered in other places. Basically looking deeper. Okay. So yeah, so it's
1: it's slightly focused around art and design. Is like-
2: But in your case, I'm looking- Yeah. Which I'm very excited to hear more about. So Mm -hmm. I'm just gonna start. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Um, When was the first time that you realized you the need to reimagine and recreate garments using more sustainable measures?
1: So I think it was kind of a slow progression and it actually started for me thinking more about uh, like product design and um, waste from like e-waste, waste waste from circuit boards. So when I did, I did my undergraduate degree in mechanical engineering product design and was designing lots of stuff, you know, you're in the machine shop, you're making things, you're very aware and you're also thinking about how products are are made and what happens to them and what they're made out of and all the processes and then when i got to mit to do my phd i became very aware of how much techno trash was everywhere and we even started um one of the classes i was teaching at one point was called future craft and we did this project called um, product autopsy where the first thing you do is like take apart some sort of complicated thing and then try to figure out where everything comes from and wh- how you would create it, where do the supply chains? You know, it's kind of like a deep dive onto something, and and then you just see it everywhere. And you know, knowing that e-waste ha- is full of really treacherous toxic chemicals, uh, things that we're actually going to be running out of soon. You know, rare earth metals, et cetera. Um, it's just really crazy the sort of the way that we design. Um, you know, des- design. What's what's the, oh gosh, what's that phrase? I'm now of course forgetting. It. I'll think of it in a second now, but. Um, but this idea that we're not ever thinking about what's going to happen at the end of life or, or you know, and, and this goes back to the 90s and, you know, early 2000s and, and stuff. Um, that that wasn't actually a conscious kind of way that we sort of configured products. So then when I started uh, moving more into fashion, I was doing my PhD that was um, the last piece. Well, I was doing a lot of work around interactivity in the body. It was on physical digital interactivity. So that naturally led me into clothing and thinking about wearable tech as this kind of bodily interface. And I made a lot of um, like kinetic textiles and various things that are shape change based. And I think from there, when I started thinking about this convergence of um, e-textiles, so electronics that were then being embedded into clothing that would then make it non-recyclable there was just a lot of stuff going on in my head that was bothering me, and I think that inside of fashion, it's um, it's a low hanging fr- fr- fruit opportunity in the sense that we can do you know there's a lot of ways we can change the materials to be able to be bio based and have biodegradable. You know, it's much much easier than it is to do it with electronics. There's still a lot of research that has to go into that to those kinds of scenarios. So I think that it was sort of this slow evolution through just being a, a maker, being an engineer, being a technologist and being so aware of how products are made, what they're made out of and, and just being around it in your profession, so.
2: You um, just briefly touched upon when you are at MIT, you did your PhD on kinetic interaction design. What did you find
1: my PhD? <laughs>
2: I'm joking, but but seriously, did because I was like, wow, like she Googled hard to find that, the
1: title.
2: Um. (laughs) That makes you a journalist. Um, What key things did you learn from your thesis? Yeah, so I think, you know, my,
1: broadly speaking, my, my PhD was around digital physical interactivity. It was around, you know, tangible media. So it was like half material science and half computer science. And I was really, it was looking at how we can start to use digital technology, whether it be electronics, hardware, software, to control different things about materials, chemistries, and and organisms. So it was this kind of evolution from um, like regular robotics into soft robotics, and then into organisms. So I think that something that is this is this is a little meta but it was all about kind of thinking about biofeedback loops and how materials and organisms kind of inform you about how like how you should then um treat them next it, and it's kind of like thinking about how do we think about the earth's ecosystem and this is sort of a way that we're trying to mimic it a bit so i think all of the all of the kind of interaction design that i that i did that was there was actually a lot more in common between the kind of code and electronic infrastructure I was building to help optimize photosynthesis in microalgae as there was in me controlling shape, memory, alloy, nitinol, all, right, so which doesn't seem like they have anything to do with each other, one's a textile, and one's a, <laughs> a bad of algae, but you're still thinking about this idea of, of kind of um, the control structure around whatever it is, that a bioreactor or, or a garment. Um, so I think, I don't know if that's a little bit obscure, that's kind of one of the things that I think I've like, that's taken, that's kind of I've taken with me
0: mm-hmm. um, quite a
1: bit. Um, I think, and then the other one is just, again, this like deep appreciation of building things, knowing, understanding the relationship between craft and then uh, digital technology. So how do you mix things like that are they're more common um, with the with sort of fashion like sewing, you know, they're, they're, we're still sort of manipulate a lot of textiles by hand, but combining that with things like 3D printing and laser cutting, and really thinking about how does the high tech meet the kind of low tech or something that's considered more crafty, and where is that where is that kind of that interface? And I think that that also has sort of informed our material philosophy right, when what we call high tech nationalism, whereas looking at you know where there's waste in nature and then thinking about high technology processes or or chemistry or whatever it might be um, to to kind of manipulate and augment that so it was this i think that's it's sort of how the two can work in tandem
2: and then you spent two years researching materials to find new opportunities for their application what for you was the most interesting discovery that you made (laughs) um i don't think i could pick out one or and also there's a bunch that i probably can't write
1: yeah, <laughs> but i mean i think i think one of the ones that it was, that was really um, transformative and st- struck me right away is um, the company kintra where we're now invested in them i think i think you had mentioned mention a question about that but i knew immediately um, from all the searching that you know there was there's no good solution of a synthetic mat- or you know a, a material that has the properties of a synthetic so it behaves like and functions like a synthetic but it's both bio-based and has a biodegradable profile and it can be tuned so this is what kindred was offering and it was really taking a really a kind of a deeply um like a fundamental uh kind of a fundamental chemistry in the sense of like looking at okay how when plastic was was first invented when nylon was first invented in the 1930s at dupont Um, they could have used a bio-based molecule and did the kind of formulation. Um, um, but they instead, you know, fossil fuels were new and oil was all the rage. So they used that instead. And then we've had, you know, almost a hundred years of optimizing that base molecule. So now we're kind of starting back at the beginning. We know a lot of, we can take a lot of what we understand about the kind of chemical synthesis. Um, of all different kinds of, of kind of quote plastic structures, um, but it's 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 sort of like we have to we have to work on the reformulation. So it's maybe think about it if you have to, you know, you have a regular cake recipe and you need to make it vegan or gluten free. So you're still putting in flour, but that flour is going to have different properties and behave. So you're going to end up with flour that makes you a cake, like we're making, you know, yeah. um, you know resin that then gives you a textile. But is you're starting with sort of a different um, base ingredient with feedstock so so that's one thing and then um i guess what would another um i don't know let me think about if there's anything else that, that i want to pull out for the most the coolest things i've seen
2: <laughs> all the ones <laughs> Oh that, I, yeah I have, no i
1: have one other thing i think that and this is sort of a the general overall topic of synthetic biology i, I just when I first discovered it in grad school I was absolutely mystified by oh my gosh we can manipulate you know we can write DNA code in the same way that we write computers computer code basically and that this was you know obviously like uh, the next industrial revolution is about biology and um, I think like there's a company called Ginkgo Bioworks which is like the factory, the future and what they call themselves an organism design company. And it's this kind of, it's kind of a conceptual leap where what they do is they basically design an organism like a bacterial cell or a yeast cell that has the DNA properties of something that you wanted to do. Like say, for example, you wanted to create red dye. So you take the, you know, the DNA from the part of the DNA from a flower that's red, that makes it red and then transpose it into this organism and then feed it and grow it. And it would make the red dye. But literally this is a company whose consulting business is to make these basically genetic machines. They're like tiny machines that grow and grow whatever you need to produce. So it's a kind of, it's a biological factory consulting tool. And I think that conceptually that is just huge. And um, they're one of the most successful and biggest um, biotech companies now, like they just ipo would And um, they're doing super well, but this is really, that was kind of a a huge conceptual way forward to to just start thinking about, wait, what what do I want my organism to do? Let's start thinking about
2: that. (laughs) Design my organism. And then Pangea is a company founded on a vision of creating high performance garments whilst respecting the environment through material science and ensuring sustainability. Being at the forefront of this, how influential is science in the future of fashion?
1: um i mean i do think that it's major i mean i have, why, how could i not think it's major it's my job but but i think um a couple of things about it there's the the level the level of kind of attention that a single breakthrough gets like a lab breakthrough that is a very small amount of the work and actually the innovation and science work that goes into getting something into market um so there tends to be you know, a lot of, say, you know, funding and investment into those kind of, well, not you know, into the early stage where something's promising, but then it's not as sexy to invest in like a factory scale up system, right? You have to like all these, they sort of change things. So, so I actually think that um, there's just as much kind of nuanced engineering work in creating Mechanisms for all of these new technologies to be able to be industrialized—that is no small feat. Um, so I, so I think you know the the science is a thing that will get us to the next place and the next breakthrough. But there's many other things as along with uh, you know technological things, but also changes in business models and um, changes in you know, um, all different, all different ways of thinking about consumption creating fashion as experiences and, and, you know, different models of how we consume and use and share fashion. So I think there's a little, we need, we need everything. We need all the models to change and to, to evolve um, without getting rid of this idea that we are not allowed to consume things because, fa- you know, fashion is about personal expression and this kind of this identity and stuff. So it's, a, it's, a, it's an art form. And so, you know, we don't want to say, well, the most sustainable thing is to just wear the same thing every day for 20 years. That doesn't feed the spirit, the human spirit. And so, you know, we do know what fashion does and how it works as a tool. And so, how can we have respons- clothing that's generated responsibly, that has a responsible end of life? We do want it to last because, you know, there's, you know, it's, we don't, <laughs> fast fashion is is on its way, absolutely out. It's out um but at the same time you know we recognize that people people want to use fashion as they always we're not trying to go back to the 19th century where you had you know two outfits or whatever so that's the point of making it material appropriateness for um for how we want to use it um in contemporary life
2: no completely Um, do you think it's important that your customer is aware of the science and innovation behind what they have purchased and then how do you see your role as chief innovation officer initiating this dialogue and what are the challenges that you therefore face you know pushing that dialogue forward
1: yeah so so I think so my first first answer is oh yes and no and I'll explain that but uh, but just to for the for the part about kind of my role, I, science communication is actually a big part of my role, and I specifically structured my job when we were kind of formulating the company to be, a, you, know, per, we, you know, we wanted to have the science front and center, so that I was, you know, able to give talks, and I'm, you know, I'm a former professor, and and this idea, and, and even actually my I. I also did a degree in art history and I worked in science museums, the Science Museum in London and um, the Exploratorium in San Francisco, designing exhibits for several years and this sort of approach to informal science education where how do you make it, how do you start to, you know, create tiers of entry for people so that someone can get just a little bit of a snapshot or something for younger kids or all the way up through people who really want to do a deep dive. And we are sort of thinking about this, how these layers of information um, get articulated so we don't overwhelm people and scare people, but we want to use the real science words. You know, they're not scary. Like we can explain them um, and make them palatable um, and make things visual and beautiful and kind of explain it, explain things through nature in, in ways I think that people can really, really understand. So I love that the part of this because fashion is 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 an accessible lens, especially for say teenage girls, right? Which we want to get interested in science. So. I mean, that was one of the things with wearable tech that was always so cool. It was the easiest way to teach girls how to code, right? Oh, you can make your shirt light up and change color or whatever, right? I mean, I'm stereotyping there, but there, there are these kind of norms that we sit around and it's like, oh, coding is for boys and it's robots. And it's like, no, no, here's e-textiles, right? So I think there's a lot of ways in which fashion is thinking about what our clothing is made of. It's on our bodies, it's close to nature. Like that's a kind of connection that I think people can really respond to. Um, and so, so we are making that a priority, but when you ask your question, like, is it important for people to know and care? I would say yes, because we want to promote change in the industry. We want the consumers to be asking for things and to drive change across all brands, which is what we're also trying to do. But at the same time, really the future of what we want to see as sustainable products, the best sustainable product is the product that is more sustainable but no one needs to know or they just buy it because they like it better it's a better product right so there's zero compromise so there's two things on the shelf and this is just better um you know pe- people choose it for whatever reason aesthetically or um or you know in terms of its feel or its functionality and then it also has a, a you know that's really the goal so that we don't we don't want to always have to have you know, a generation of activists kind of pushing on the fashion industry. It should be um, the responsibility of the industry itself to start giving consumers better sustainable options and not make them challenge everything that's that's out there in the products.
2: Um, we quickly touched upon this, but you- Pangaea invested in Kentra, a material science company focusing on creating solutions to microplastic pollution caused by traditional non-biodegradable synthetics. Instead of petroleum, the resin source from corn and wheat. How important is it to produce clothes that begin in the ground and are formulated to return there?
1: Yeah, I mean that's that is kind of the basis of a lot of what we've we've set up um, for Pangaea. It's we talk about it as a return to the bioeconomy and to the kind of natural and biodiverse ecosystems. So while there are definitely places where recycling makes sense, um, and you know keeping things, especially if they're petroleum-based, you know, for in different situations, but waste, you know, ways that we can try to use things to sink carbon, et cetera, it's not always. Um, uh, it's usually the least best place to put like recycled plastic is actually into fibers. I think I. I mentioned, I talk about this everywhere, it's kind of a pet peeve, where, you know, you have plastic that is actually not as strong as it was virgin, Then it goes into fibers, it makes more microplastics, and especially when people make things like bathing suits out of it, I'm like, ah, you're literally putting it back in the ocean directly, (laughs) not even through your washing machine. So, um, so I think, you know, so there's, there recycling is complicated, but it's also important, but, but really what we think is like, recycling is like an intermediary step, as we're all kind of moving through getting better, as soon as we have access to better biofeed stocks and we understand all the mechanisms and that they're they're scaled up, um, that is definitely where we want to be heading because that's the only way to really, you know, create a full functioning cycle. Um, I also think, you know, a big part of industry change has to be around infrastructure. And of course, everything about collecting and recycling, right? There has to be systems at the end, just as much, you know. So what we're trying to do is right now we do not have those systems in place. Like global infrastructure is not there. Um, and so if our clothing does end up in landfills, we kind of our first rule, it's like do no harm. So maybe it isn't going to fully break down, but if it's organic cotton, right, it's not going to, it's not going to break down into microplastics. It's not going to do harm. You know, it will eventually break down if they're in in, you know, if, if it gets into the particular right conditions with the microbes, et cetera, not as quickly as it would in other scenarios, but it's not gonna do any harm if it's if it's sitting there. So that's kind of like the, I think the starting point and then everything else is really about how can we push to have literally have products that are, you know, carbon negative. So there's like their carbon sinking. Um, we are also all about, um, it's not just about the carbon cycle balance anymore that our metrics are also around um, how do we promote biodiversity and regenerative agriculture so that we're restoring crop ecosystems so that things can grow in natural cycles and then we're not, I mean, this is what's happened with cotton. There's nothing um, inherently wrong with it as a crop. It's a wonderful fiber that, you know, we've, uh, we've perfected over hundreds of years, um, but we've over industrialized it. Um, we, it uses extremely large amounts of pesticide that, you know, the non-organic version, and we've just stripped the soil if we're just growing it over and over. So getting any kind of return, t- return to using many more plants, we shouldn't just be using one thing. It should be like biodiversity and um, promoting biodiversity in, in cycles. So the more fibers that we have, we create more re- more resilient supply chain and just resiliency in general for the industry as kind of... You know, crop cycles change and, and all that.
2: And then, again, you touched upon this really quickly with the industry st- standard sustainable polyester fibers made from recycled plastic bottles, which still contributes to microplastic waste. What do you think are the biggest problems with labeling fabrics sustainable when they're still causing harm to the environment? Do you think that there's an overall lack of transparency in the industry?
1: So I wouldn't necessarily call it transparency, I, like a lack of transparency. What what I would say is happening is that um, there's 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 greenwashing going on, but I think a lot of a lot more of it comes from a place of just not fully understanding the entirety of the context of what's going on with the materials versus something that is driven by corporate evil, right? And I, and I think that's we're kind of seeing the shift. The problem is that it's like now it's sort of, it's so trendy that people are like, oh great, we got the recycled uh, polyester so we can say this is sustainable now, like check. But, but we, you know, it's up to the industry to kind of um, cha- challenge those standards. Oh, I'm so sorry, that's my doorbell. One got gonna grab the door. So about the polyesters. Um, so basically, you know, brands are basically looking for kind of a quick fix around sustainability, and unfortunately, that's just it's just not a single right answer kind of situation. And and you know, I think most brands don't necessarily have the internal resources in terms of scientists or impact teams or whatever to do the kind of complicated analysis. So they're kind of going on the cues of what other people are doing. So. Oh, Adidas Adidas has made recycled ocean plastic. Great. This is a new sustainability craze. And then everyone drives towards it. Um, And there's nothing, again, inherently wrong with doing something with ocean bottles, but they should be put into things that are low wash or no wash, right? That's the kind of thing, you know, the way that we talk about it. So everything about sustainability is a series of compromises that are kind of informed by, you know, your analysis and your priorities. So there's never a the problem is that there's never a single perfect solution. It's like, where are you? What's around you? What point in time is it? What's the social environment around you, right? So there's a thousand of these different questions which are all kind of variables that you have to manipulate and think about how you prioritize them. So that's kind of complex systems thinking which doesn't normally happen. You know, it's like, it's like having a whole strategic uh, you know, impact plan with all these different variables um, for your clothing line. And we just haven't gotten quite gotten there yet for people to really have the complexity inside of the brands and to take the time and all that. So it's evolving. Um, so I don't want to be down on people who are trying. I also believe that one of the worst things that we can do is, you know, if a brand tries to make something sustainable, <laughs> when we see this, it's like, everyone jumps on, oh, well, what about this thing about your products? And like, so if it's like, if it's not perfect, we shouldn't try. And I totally do not believe that. Like I, you know, we, this is a progression. We're not gonna be perfect. And we talk about our materials and like our products have material upgrades. So it's like, well, when the first iPhone came out nobody was pointing out everything that was missing. <laughs> it was, you know, it was like, well, great. Yeah, I mean, you have the next version two, three, four. It didn't mean that the iPhone one was was terrible. It's just that that's where we're at. And so that's what how we, we tend to think about this. And so as we have, more complexity in our sustainable thinking and and more op- like options of things to choose and how to, you know, do we want to, if we're, if we're designing something that does have to have something synthetic and it can be a mono material so that we know the whole thing is recyclable or even mixing two different synthetics, which are then neither one of them are recyclable. You know, there's all these scenarios that, that are, it's very situational. So I think that, yeah, it just, it has more to do with the sort of, there's no single right answer in any situation. So you have to have, a kind of structure in place inside your brand
2: to do the analysis that's completely fair enough um you've well just announced or will announce the introduction of plant fiber and fruit fiber i think that, i think that's how you pronounce mm-hmm. it yeah your roster of material innovation both new fibers stem from plant and agricultural waste how do you and your team begin the process of creating a sustainable textile
1: yeah, so this actually, these, these textiles were basically conceived from the start of Pangaea. I mean, we were always um, looking for agricultural waste. And when we were, you know, as Future Tech Lab, we were trying to fund different innovations in this space. Um, so we definitely see it's just a massive resource that is out there. Um, everything we're using is not part of the edible part of like so (laughs) it's not the the actual fruit that we're using it's the like for example with the bananas when you harvest a bunch of bananas there's this whole other chunk part that has to be cut off and there's quite a lot of fiber mass there biomass and um usually farmers have to either pay to have it taken away or burn it which creates carbon and carbon pollution so um this is literally a secondary revenue stream on them for for, like basically harvesting that they're already doing Um, so that's you know all these kinds of scenarios we've been in search of. And what we kind of think about for this, this is this is the beginning of a whole journey for us to create these are going to be like families of textiles, and we'll keep adding. And the point is is everything I was saying about biodiversity and creating resiliency, you have all these different fibers which have different functionalities or different price points, they have different hand feels, etc. And so how you blend them, you can you know create. Whole different kinds of 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 functionality uh, and behavior for the textile itself. So that is like this mastic matrix of you know these are the first six that we've mixed together and found blends that we like and that are appropriate for the products we're releasing. Um, But really, it's you know there's so many more out there and there's so many different ways to try more and more um, different kinds of blends and to do more complicated knit structure. We're starting you know starting to work on wovens in these. Um, and there's also all new, whole new categories of agricultural waste um, that we can start um, tapping into as well, which haven't even been like all the polysaccharides. We've, we've been so focused on cellulose, but there's all the polysaccharides out there for us to start um, working on.
2: <laughs> um. And then you've got the bio-based fiber flower down, which removes the need for animal feathers and synthetic alternatives for outerwear insulation. Is there is there a plan to scale this across the industry? Yes, and we
1: already are. So part, part of our business model is to have B2B B2B department where we first we develop an innovation and then we create our own product and really set for ourselves as much, it's as much as you know, creating our product line, but also kind of road testing a any snags about getting something to the market. So we're proving to other brands. Cause I think a lot of the, the fashion brands can be very risk averse. And so working with a startup is, can be a really hard, like a mismatch of communication and kind of there's, there's so many stumbling blocks and these tiny things can just kind of kill a project. So uh, we show them that it's possible and we kind of, and then we will liaise through, like if we are supplying flower down to other brands will help them with, uh, you know, the manufacturing of filling. We you know what size cushions do you make for the quilting, or you know, those kinds of stuff that are all about really making it behave optimally. Because we've been, you know, it doesn't behave exactly like down because it isn't down, but it has the same similar like properties of down in terms of, you know, therm like how warm it is, right? But you just need to treat it slightly differently um, when you're in when you're manufacturing. So, um, yeah, that's absolutely. In place, um, and we still, you know, we're working on some new versions. We're, you know, it's always about making things better, um, and um, yeah. So, other other things, we're still t- we're still tweaking and experimenting. But you know, nothing's ever perfect. But but we're certainly it's certainly ready for market. It's great yeah. to hear. We can, we can scale up quite quickly. It doesn't. It's the the actual kind of limiting factor is more to do with the particular wildfire. There's a very part of a particular wildflower that has to be harvested and um, that you know just just setting up the supply chain for that is um, the most complicated part of the whole thing.
2: Um, What do you what is the biggest obstacle that you are facing in sustainable material development? (laughs)
1: Um, I mean I think I always used to say money but I I think but I think it's it's more complicated than that it's actually um, it it's really about kind of the belief system that a lot of what we're doing is real biotech, that normally, if you're starting a, bio, if a startup, biotech startup, no one expects you to have results first, like seven years. That's a standard cycle of developing something in that space. And a lot of what we are doing, especially in the sort of synthetic biology space, anything biofabricated is, is of a similar domain in terms of the complexity of the science. And so, but fashion is all about you know, could not be a faster industry. So they're inherently mismatched there. So I think it's really about uh, creating realistic expectations where people are like, oh, I've been hearing about this mycelium leather for like three years and it's not out yet. It must be fake. No, it's still being worked on, you know, where it's getting refined. Then there's a whole infrastructure around scale up that has to be built and has to be funded and, and all that. So I think it's really about this, um, yeah, like shifting the expectation that things can move, you know, things can move much more quickly than they really can. Like innovation just does take time and money and we need to get it right. You know, we've been working, like I said, we've been working on cotton for what, five, 600 years, 500 years in this country, right? So, so like these fibers need some development, love and time to catch up.
2: <laughs> and finally, um what does the future of Pangaea look like over the next five years? Oh yeah, Um, so definitely um, moving into this
1: new product categories, um, which is exciting, you know, we really think of ourselves as a lifestyle brand, so anything that can really kind of foster a kind of a more, you know, a lifestyle that brings you closer to nature and is creative and, and healthy and all that, so there's a bunch of different things we can think about. In, that, in those kinds of spaces. Um, definitely, you know, we are planning long-term research that goes, you know, sort of out seven years in some cases, you know, sort of there's, you know, immediate and then sort of short midterm and then longer term research. Um, and that's, you know, we, I, that comes from sort of my background in the tech industry, um, you know, like everybody, like tech companies like Google or Apple, you know, they're designing the future of their industry they're owning the means of their own production, they're creating the software, the hardware, they're creating whatever they need or acquiring it, right? Um, to, to guide the industry forward. And so I want us to be doing that where we've set up this vision for, you know, a return to the bioeconomy and where we, you know, we are addressing end of life and we have, you know, functionality across, you know, across different specters that are you know, bio-based things that are mimicking part cellulosic, part synthetic, right? Um, so we have, we've created this kind of whole library of, of uh, you know, textiles that have um, end of life profiles sorted out, right? That's, that's one of the things that, that I think that is will be like a major breakthrough when we sort of addressed all the different small bits and pieces and all the families of research that we want to be doing. And then also looking at um, research that, that crosses categories or what I like to think of is there's sort of, it's more con- um, consortium research where say, for example, we're looking at algae or seaweed, there are, you can use the entirety of the organism. So, you know, the cellulose, the lipids, um, the proteins, right? They can go into into food, into beauty, into packaging, into fibers, right? Kind of, there's a lot of organisms that have um, really incredible kind of cross uses that right now it's it's often that one particular thing is sourced from it and the rest is, turns into to waste or whatever, right? So really thinking, um, setting up, um, so I see us like really have moving into setting up smarter supply chains and having our, you know, research kind of drive towards that direction of how can we really start to op- optimize what n- nature is doing already and start to utilize it and, and, and structure it. So side stream of waste, organizing, like de- being able to detoxify, you know, different, different parts of waste and, and that sort of thing. So.
2: Well, thank you so much those are all my questions thank you very much for you know letting me have some of your time it's been really interesting it's been genuinely very interesting. Sure you're welcome thank you. um this sorry it, is it um online only or does it come out as any something physical? Yeah it comes out physical oh, okay. and then, yeah so it comes out physical so I'll write this up and do like a bio about you and then if you would like, we get the okay, then it becomes um, a YouTube video, which is this whole thing's edited and a podcast as well. But that's up to you whether or that's okay. Okay, gosh, I would have,
1: you know, dressed
0: up. If you don't want to miss an episode of other podcast, all you have to do is download the app in the Apple store or visit other Spotify account. That way, every new episode will drop into your feed automatically. Don't forget to leave a review, Tell your friends about the other podcast.